Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to start by talking about overused words. How many of you have ever, you, well, I'm sure you have, you've heard of these, these words that when you hear them, like they have a significant meaning, they have a purpose, but after a while, they just become grossly overused. And let me give you a few examples of these words. Like. How many of you have had conversations with people who can't give a single sentence without using the word like two to three times per sentence? <laughs> Don't look at your teenager, by the way. But they say like, 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 like. And you're like, I get it. I get it. Like, I get it. <laughs> right? Another one of those types of words, honestly. There are people who say, I'm just going to be honest with you, or honestly, I just have to tell you this. I have a friend, he's actually one of my best friends, and he'll say, I mean, honestly, Gabe, and I just, I want to tell him, so what are you all, the rest of the time? <laughs> like, why do you have to tell me that you're being, I, I assume, well, most of the time I assume that you're being honest with me. Right, and so we, we overuse these words all the time. How about this one? This is, this is one that we actually have kind of created a little inside joke with in my staff. But when people say, wow, that's crazy. How many of you have heard that? When people say that to you, wow, that's crazy. Is it really crazy? Like, is the fact that the copy machine jammed, is that really crazy? Like, man, I got stuck at a red light. Wow, man, that's crazy. <laughs> Let me give you an inside scoop. Let me give you what that, what that means, what that people are really communicating when they say, wow, that's crazy. This is really what they're saying. I've disengaged with this conversation, and I would like you to stop talking. <laughs> that's, yes, it is exactly what it means. When they come up to you and they're like, and as sooner or later you check out and he's like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Wow. It's <laughs> crazy. And they pick up on just one or two words. Wow. So the dog, huh? That's crazy. That's crazy. Don't, don't look at me and act like you're so spiritual, like you've never done that. I want to talk about a word that is like those words and those phrases, grossly overused. And I think people mean well when they say this word. They mean well when they label something this. But most of the time, what they are calling or what they are labeling this specific word or phraseology is not what, it's, what it actually is. And that word that I'm talking about is the word family. Family. As a matter of fact, in Next month, on, in February 4th, we're going to be beginning a brand new series on marriage and on family and on relationships called Relationships XO. 
And so I'm excited about that series. We're going to be talking about that and, and just giving you, if your marriage has been on the rocks, if, if your relationships have been on the rocks, if you're trying to figure out how to get out of the jams that you're in relationally, I encourage you to come to that series. If you know somebody who's struggling, invite them to that series. But we're going to be talking about family and, and what family, what God has intended for families to be. But this term, again, family, is so grossly overused. And, and I think people use it to try to describe a, a team atmosphere or a sentimental culture or a culture where people legitimately care for one another. But it's not accurate. It's not accurate. Some things that we call family are not family. Listen to me. Just because you have a Costco membership does not mean you're a part of the Costco family. Right? People call these things, we're a big family here. Really? Are we really a big family? Because y'all haven't talked to me in like two months. Right? And so we, we use this phrase family. But here's the thing. When we think about church, we don't often label it a family. When we think about church, we think about a place of worship. Right? The church is the place I go to worship God. Okay? That's a great so that's a great label, that's a great thing to call the church, but we think of the church as a good community organization. Like, like we need ch good churches because it makes our, our communities better, and all of that is true. Or we think about church as a religion, right? Or this is my belief system. I go to the place that shares the same belief systems as me. And there may be some truth to all of these things, but these things do not encapsul encapsulate the church at its best. And this is, a, this is something that I, I believe, I hold to be true, that at its worst, at its worst, church is a business, if you've ever gone to a church and it's just, we herd you in like cattle and then we get you through the thing and then we're done. And it's all about the bottom line and it's all about the number. And, and listen, I believe in numbers. I believe in growing churches because I believe when we give you numbers, every one of those numbers represents a person's life. Okay, but there are some mindsets when it comes to church where church is just the just numbers, just the bottom line, just the, the, the dollar amounts, all of those things. That is church at its worst. And, and even worse than that, actually, is when church becomes a performance. When for you as an individual, church becomes the place that you come to be entertained. They sang good today, so church was good today. Pastor Gabe was funny today. It was a good sermon. Or even inverting that a little bit. You come to church and you're not genuine and you're not honest. All you do is put on a big show. That's when church is at its worst. In those two categories. Church is at its worst when it's a business or a performance, but it is at its best when it's a family. That's when church is at it's best. So that's what I want to talk to you today because we're in this series, Come Follow Me, and we're talking about the greatest calling that's ever been given to mankind, the call of, from Jesus to us to come and to follow him, not to join a religion, not to become a better person, not just to follow a bunch of rules. This is Jesus' call. Are you ready? Give up your life and embrace mine. That's Jesus' call. 
Give up your life and embrace my life and follow me. That's Jesus' call to us. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, I mean, excuse me, in Mark chapter 1, this is a scripture we've been reading throughout this series, but in verse 16 it says this, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, this is at the very beginning, he's just getting ready to begin his ministry, and he's gathering his disciples. He saw Simon, who would later be called Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come. Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Now, Jesus called these men, but these were not his only disciples. As a matter of fact, these were not his only apostles. There were 12 apostles that Jesus walked with and discipled. But even those 12 apostles were not his only disciples. We've talked about that in previous series. There were many more disciples who followed Jesus. There were 12 apostles that Jesus was training and developing to send out. Are y'all with me? Pastor, why are you telling us? What's, What's the point? Here's the point. Jesus doesn't only call us into relationship with him as we follow him. He calls us with others into a family. It wasn't one individual following Jesus around, and when Jesus was done, he handed everything to that one person. No, Jesus developed a family around him that he poured his life into. He poured his teachings into. He discipled, and they created their own little ecosystem, if you will, a spiritual family. When you follow Jesus, you're not following Jesus by yourself. That's not how he's created this thing. He didn't create the church to be like the the place you charge your electric car, like you go to the hotel and you plug in and you get filled up and then you go. That is not how the church is designed. The church is designed as a bunch of individuals who come together to create a corporate body. And that body feeds one another, encourages one another. What does that sound like to you? A family. That's what the church is at its best. It's a spiritual family. And in families, what do you do? You enjoy each other. You disagree with one another. You make up. You say, I'm sorry. You say, you were wrong. You say, that hurt my feelings. And you say, I forgive you. And listen, I'm not foolish enough to know that some of you grew up in homes that that is not the case that's not the case at all. I understand. Like, that's not, that wasn't your experience with family. But nonetheless, your experience with family doesn't dictate what God's design for family is. This is, God created family to look like this. And for some of you in this place, you have learned more about having a healthy family from being a part of God's spiritual family. That's just the truth. That's the case for me. That, that's how I learned. I learned about family, not necessarily from watching my family. I learned from watching the spiritual family God's put in my life. Well, when I, that's, I didn't see that growing up, so let me do that. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. That, that was never modeled for me. But I learned family from spiritual family. So God has a lot to say about family, and especially his family. 
And in churches where you don't grasp that it's a family, this is what conversations in church. You don't say that I'm sorry. You don't say to please forgive me. You don't say that I was wrong. You don't enjoy one another. This is what you treat church like. You walk through the door, somebody says, hey, how are you? You say, blessed. Praise the Lord. And what you don't say is we got in an argument on the ride over here. I just lost my job. My kids are rebelling. I don't know what to do. Right? Because you don't trust them because they're not family. And you fail to see what the church actually is. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Church at its best is a family. And if you read the Bible, those disciples who followed Jesus, they disagreed. They fought with one another. They had arguments. They told on each other to Jesus. They had silly little arguments like who was going to be the best. Jesus, like pulling Jesus aside. Okay, so when we come into the kingdom, like I don't want Peter to be there. Can I sit on your right side? Like we over-spiritualized the Bible, but that's what they did. They came in and they said, listen, I want to be the one. Okay, Jesus, like I know you pretend to like them. Like... Like, who's Thaddeus anyway? Nobody's even going to remember his name. Right? They, this, that was real life conversations and conflict and issues. And yes, Jesus corrected them. He corrected the fact that it was wrong. But if you notice, they did what families do. They did what families do. And the early church was just like that. As a matter of fact, the early church, church, the Bible says something about how, how they interacted with one another. The Bible says they devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves. Acts chapter 2, another scripture we've been reading throughout this series. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Beginning of the church, birthday of the church. First 3,000 people to get born again, to get saved. They're trying to figure out now, now what do I do? Now that Jesus isn't here, but I'm now a Christian. I'm now his follower. Now what do I do? This is what they did. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowshipping with one another. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals. Come on, Cajuns in South Louisiana. They devoted themselves to a good etouffee. They devoted themselves to a good gumbo. Dark roux. No tomatoes. That's right, man of God. They devoted themselves to one another. Does that sound like some of the the church experiences you've had? Are you devoted to one another? Let me just tell you this. One of the main factors that I've seen over the years of being in ministry, being in church, period. I got born again when I was 16. I'm 43 now. And in all of those years, this is one of the key factors that I've seen in whether or not people are going to finish this race well. You want to know what that is? The people they surround themselves with. When you get born again and you make that commitment to follow Jesus, and there there will come a point and a time when you realize the people around me are not helping to support the direction that I'm going. 
And in that moment, that's almost like a fork in the road where you decide, I'm going to keep following Jesus or I'm going to keep following my friends. And I've seen people make the wrong choice. And when they do, guess what happens to their relationship with God? It stagnates. And eventually it is back further and further and further away. When there was a fire that was once kindled in their life, a blazing furnace has become at best a match, if that. I'll attend church, but I know I'm not really living it. Why are you not living it? Because you're consistently doing what those old friends are doing. Because you've chosen them over choosing him. I know it's quiet, but this is truth to help you. And I don't want that for you. Let me, let me put it to you like this. When you think about your kids, think about your children for a minute. Do you want them consistently influenced by negative people in their lives just because they called them friends? Of course not. Then why do you think God would be okay with that? Why do you think God would be okay with you consistently putting, listen, am I saying don't talk to people anymore that are Christians? Of course not. How are you supposed to reach them? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to be there. But the moment they're influencing you more than you're influencing them, it's time for some distance at the least. At the least. And for some of you, there's relationships that you just need to go. Not because, not because I think you're horrible because you're not good for me right now. You're not good for me right now. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it should. Because it's time for decisions to be made in some of your hearts. And it's time for you to let go of the past and embrace what God actually wants for you. The family that he's given you to help you grow in this journey with him of following him. Let's go back this, because this, there's more that is said in Acts chapter 2. Verse 43 says this. After it says they devoted themselves to these things, it says a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their, excuse me, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's a beautiful picture of what a family is supposed to look like. Giving to one another, sharing with one another, enjoying one another. And let me just talk, because every week we've talked about reasons why we don't do some of these foundational things when, when it comes to following Jesus. This week, I don't want that to be different. Let's talk about this for a moment. What are some of the reasons why we don't embrace spiritual family? What are one of the reasons why we don't live like, or some of the reasons, excuse me, why we don't live out what we see in the book of Acts? I'll give you one very, very, very valid reason that is not an excuse. I've been hurt. Pastor, I've been hurt. And what I would say to that is join the club. Join the club. We've all been hurt by somebody or something. And it doesn't make light of that pain at all because some of it is deep pain. 
But I'm trying to get you to see your experience is not isolated as the only one. Sometimes it frustrates me as a pastor when I hear people say this phrase, and I get what they're saying, and, and I understand it. Again, I've been in the church world serving Jesus and, and walking with Jesus since I was 16 years old. But there's this phrase that is often used and thrown around, church hurt. And it's almost become a cultural phenomenon. Church hurt. I've been church hurt. I've been church hurt. Well, this is what I want you to know. I want to be clear. I understand what they're saying or what they're trying to say. But let me be also be equally clear. The church didn't hurt you. A person did. And maybe that person was supposed to be a representative of the church. I get that. I understand that. But my guess is probably, and I think we know this when we get past our emotions, that person was not being a very good representative of the church when they hurt you. So it wasn't like the church globally got together, called the, 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 the council of Nicaea and said, how can we ruin Marais' life in, in Lauraville? It's not what happened. A person, likely a hurt person themselves hurt you. So what do you do with that? Well, I just, I, I run away from that. Pastor, I run away from relationships. I run away from getting close and letting church people into my life because I've seen the hypocrisy. I think we've all seen the hypocrisy in our own lives. I think we've, if we're being honest, we would equally say, I know that I've been hurt, but I also know that I've done some dumb things that have hurt people. And the thing that I've expected and needed was their forgiveness. So why would I not extend that same forgiveness to people who have hurt me? Now, I'm, again, I'm, let me be very clear. I'm not trying to give too many caveats, but I want to be clear. I'm not talking about putting yourself in unhealthy situations, putting yourself in patterns to consistently be hurt and damaged. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is pushing away the gift God has given you because one bad person within that gift hurt you. You throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's what we do. We throw the baby out with the bathwater. God has given us a gift. There's no perfect church. There is no perfect person. There is no perfect family. But there is the family of God. And something we're going to talk about more in that Relationships X's and O's uh, series is this. Colossians, I was reading this the other day and it just really stood out to me. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender mercy, tender-hearted mercy, excuse me, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance, don't miss this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In a family, you say, I forgive you. In a family, you say, you hurt my feelings. When church is an event, you can show up and you don't have to talk to those people until you see them next week. But in a family, you work through situations because you become more like Christ when you do.
And I know for some of you, this is, a completely, this is a complete paradigm shift from the way that you view church. But this is what the church is supposed to be. A family who loves one another, who works out things, who forgives one another, and who grows because of it. Here's another reason why we don't. I don't have time. Pastor, I don't have time for other people. I got so many things going on. I'm working this job and this job and my family. And, I go to, and what you're really saying is, I don't value it. That's really what you're saying. I don't value, I mean, yeah, it's important. Like I get it, I kind of understand, but I don't really value it enough. Do you want to know when you need spiritual family? When you need them. I can't tell you the amount of heartbreak and tragic situations that I have talked to people about, heard of, prayed for in the last three weeks. In the last three weeks, heartbreaking stories. This is the cancer's come back. This person died. This person's, this relationship looks like it's over. Multiple of these things in the last three weeks. And you want to know what I've seen? You want to know who's been there for those people? The church. The church has. And more specifically, the people in the church that they have allowed themselves to invest their lives in. They've invested their lives in those people, and those people in their moment of need has invested their life back into theirs. Because that's what church is supposed to look like. I have seen small groups rally around people in the most tragic situations of their life been there for them, walked them through their pain, provided resources, helped them with their financial plans. I've seen that happen. What are they doing in that moment? Being the church. Doing what the church is supposed to do. This is what we're called, this is what we're called by God to do. Not to sit back and to cast judgment, to engage. And to say, if you have a need, if you have a hurt, if you have a problem, then it's my problem now. Because we are the church. Are y'all tracking with me? But when you don't have time for church people, when you fall, guess how you fall? Alone. Alone. And here's another one. And I'm going to move very quickly because I'm not done yet, but... Here's a third reason. I'm afraid of being judged, Pastor. Like, I don't want to get close to people because I'm afraid of being judged. Can I tell you something very lovingly and honestly? You might be. You might be judged. Especially if what you're doing is judge-worthy. See, but if you want help, what you won't find is condemnation. What you won't find is someone pushing you aside. What you won't find is someone who just goes, oh, I don't want to deal with that, or you're a horrible person. I'm not. There's a difference between the judgment that I'm talking about, meaning assessing that something is wrong and having the conversation to let you know that something is wrong versus condemning you as worthless and destined to eternal hell. Some of us don't get close to people because we, we don't want people to tell us that what we're doing is wrong, even though we know it's wrong. We don't want anybody to tell us that it's wrong. 
if you know you're wrong, be okay with someone telling, what you, telling you what you already know. Because they're not there to harm you. They're there to help you. They're there to pull you out of the mess that you're in. But we're so afraid that someone's going to realize it's wrong. You know it's wrong. God knows it's wrong. And so does everybody else around you. They know it's wrong. But whether you'll be humble enough to let them help you is completely up to you. It's completely up to you. Now, as I close, I want to close with this briefly. What does spiritual family look like? What is it supposed to look like? Number one, it looks like spending time with each other. Spending time with each other. Acts 2.46 says they worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They made time for one another. Just like with teenagers. Teenagers spell love, T-I-M-E. Engaging with one another, giving them something so valuable to you, your time. Okay, I have so much more to say about that, but I'm going to keep going. Number two, enjoying, enjoying each other. It looks like enjoying each other, having fun with one another. Did you, there's some of you that, and you can read that in verse 46, it talks about how they shared their meals with great joy. Some of you say, I don't want to spend time with church people because they're weird and they're boring. Some of them are. (laughs) Some of them are weird. Some of them are boring. But guess what? Some of them think you're weird. (laughs) And they think you're boring. Or they think you're crazy. (laughs) Right? But here's the thing. When it comes to family, we all have those family members that when we engage with them, we can't wait to see them. And we equally have those ones that when people come over, we have to explain them. That's what families are. That's what families do. And I'm going to tell you, in a healthy spiritual family, one of, the, one of the greatest gifts in my life besides my relationship with Jesus, my wife and my kids, are my Christian friends, my brothers and sisters. All five of you can clap and the rest of you can look at me like I'm crazy. It's the truth. I play golf with them. I go hunting with them. We joke together. We have fun together. Being a Christian and and like fellowshipping with one one another does not mean that you just sit around and you pray a five-minute prayer and walk away from one another. No, you enjoy each other's company. You have game nights. And you do that with people who you can trust love you and you love them. And more importantly, y'all both love Jesus. And he's at the center of this relationship. God wants you, look at me, church, God wants you to have fun. (gasps) God wants you to have fun with one another. God wants you to enjoy one another. And some of you are lonely and dying on the vine because you have not let somebody in in a spiritual family that God has given you into your life to bring you that joy that God wants you to have. Enjoy one another. Spiritual families enjoy, again, so much more I can say about that. Number three, they seek God with and for each other. They seek God with and for each other. Verse 47 says, all the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. When we come together and we sing songs of worship, there's a synergy in this room. There's a harmony in this room that lifts up a praise to God, not individually, but corporately. 
And that's a pleasing aroma to heaven. We're called to seek God together. And we're called to seek God for one another. That means that when you're going through something, I'm praying for you. If we're walking together and you tell me something tragic's happened in your life, I don't look at you and go, oh, that's too bad. Glad it's not me. No, I, I pray for you. I intercede. I seek God for you. And lastly, we care for each other. We care for each other. The Bible says in verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Romans 12 verse 15 says this, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. A true spiritual family will care for each other, will meet each other's needs. When someone is down, you're going to help lift them back up. When someone is in need, you don't look at them and go, well, you should have known better. No, you help them. Because that's what families do. That's what families do. And again, what I'm not advocating for, and I've said this many times in the past, I'm not advocating for people who come in to manipulate you and go, okay, how can I get something out of you? How can I get something out of you? The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's scripture. That's what Paul said in Thessalonians. Okay, but I'm talking about when something happens, you help meet that need because you love them and you're caring for them. If you know that they have advice that you need, you give it to them. If you know they need encouragement, don't go, man, they get me down every time I'm around them. No, try try to lift them up. Encourage means to put courage in. In joy, to put joy in. That's what families do with one another. And as I close, close with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. Paul said, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will, get, will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to work to earn their living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. You see the balance in those two things? The individual responsibility to make sure I'm not just trying to live off of everyone else, but for us as believers, even with spiritual family, never get tired of doing good. Will people use you sometimes? Yes, they will. But guess what? You prayed to God, please use me. And guess what happened? You were used. You were used. This is what spiritual family looks like. It looks like relationship. I want to end with a few practical things. If you're saying, I need to get into spiritual family, Pastor, this is what you're talking about. I want this. I need this. I'm finally open to it. Listen, February 4th, get into a small group. We're going to be launching our small groups. Get in one. Connect with people. And don't just go to it. Get to know them. Walk with them. If you're a young adult here, this Saturday, we're having a young adult's bonfire by the by the KLC. It's going to be s'mores and all that. And with the fast is over, it's okay. It's going to be food. 
They're going to worship together outside. Come and be a part of this this Saturday, 6 p.m. Join a serve team. Go through one of our, our next steps. Intro to next steps. Intro to serve and serve alongside people. That's how you get to know them. That's how you get to connect with them. Invite somebody to coffee. Just talk to somebody when you leave church instead of going, i got to be the first one to get to Burger King. Stop and talk to somebody and get to know someone in your spiritual family. Because this is what church is at its best, a family. Father, I pray for your people. I pray you bless them. God, I pray that you would give them this revelation of Jesus, how you've called us to follow you. Not just individually, but corporately. We don't have to follow you alone. We can follow you with those who, yes, challenge us, but also support us and help us to do this well. In Jesus' name. Now stand to your feet. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And before you leave, we're going to have spiritual family up here. Our prayer partners here to pray for you. And if there's any needs that you have, you can come and they would love to join with you and pray with you like your family should. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for you people. I pray you would bless them. I pray you would make your face to shine on them. I pray you would bless them in their going out and in their coming in. God, and that all that they put their hand to for the sake of your kingdom and for your great name, God, would be blessed and prosper. And as a church, I pray that we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord. We would be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, manifesting your glory in the earth. And we would be a persistent church, even in the face of challenges. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.